0: On this episode of Wild in the Streets, Thomas Millian is getting revenge against the crime syndicates that were responsible for his friend's death in Umberto Lenzi's *Syndicate Sadists* from
1: 1975. <laughs>
0: Hello, and welcome to Wild in the Streets, a deep dive into the Eurocrime films of the 1970s and beyond. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the beast with a gun, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm very beastly. Liam, what's the biggest gun you've ever fired? I've never touched a gun in my life. Never even touched? How about a cap gun?
1: Uh, wa- I've done water guns. Uh, Well, you know what? In college, a friend had one of those airsoft sure. like, pellet johns, mm-hmm. so I've done that. And I have done paint. Ball, guns. Uh, I did paintball when I was a youth leader. I took a bunch of kids to paintball. And I I had a terrible time. A terrible time. Because two kids came who were ringers. They came with us and they paintball all the time. And the rest of us were all kind of new to this thing. It was a huge group. It's like 20 kids. Is that a two verb kids kids to paintball? I guess so. I don't fucking know. All I know <laughs> is they do this shit all the time, right? And the reason it was revealed that we were having a bad time and they were having a good time is we suddenly figured out they had different colored paint than us. Oh. And when we looked at it, they almost exclusively were getting everyone out. And the rest of us just weren't hitting anything. Huh. And it was such a fucking bummer that I said, you guys got to go find another group to to paintball with for this next round,
0: yeah, yeah, it's it was like a, so fucked. It's like playing an online game where like two people are just or one person is like way better than everyone else. It uh-huh. just ruins the fun.
1: How could it be fun for them to be anyway? It probably is fun to just dominate everybody. To Just dominate. <laughs> well, they were really just playing against each other because they were on opposite teams, and so they were just seeing how many more uh- each one of them could get out of the other person's team. But we weren't hitting anything and and getting out like immediately. Uh, and then I also played once at a bachelor party and. Uh, a paintball I was like being kind of aggressive and someone Uh came up and they shot at me and like some sort of psychopath I acted like I was in a matrix movie and I tried to like bend over backwards so the paintball wouldn't hit me which Uh of course doesn't fucking work and so what it did was hit me in the chin as I was leaning backwards so it went against my chin and up my face under my mask Mm. into my mouth into my nose into my eyes and I started screaming because it was oh wow it didn't like hurt hurt but it was so surprising that it got right under my mask that I just lost my mind for a second and then it was like okay I'm fine I'm fine wow that sounds disturbing and
0: I've never gone paintballing before Uh, I just have never I've been laser tagging you ever laser
1: tag Liam? Uh not since I was a kid <laughs> no. but I did I have done it before. I'm always I, I'm always skeptical that they work. Do you do that with laser tag where you're like, is this even working? am I is anything happening?
0: Yeah, especially when you were like I don't know if you remember in the late 80s, early 90s laser tag was big right you'd like Huge. you could actually buy yeah and it was just pointing a gun at someone and then they were wearing something on their chest and sometimes it would light up and sometimes
1: it wouldn't yeah and who yeah. knows Well, and I had the knockoff ones, the photon. Yeah, yeah, I had the Photon ones and they were way less reliable than the name brand laser tag.
0: I didn't even have that. Do you remember that there was a television show in the late 80s called Captain Power and the oh in the Oh my god, I
1: loved Captain <laughs> Power. I had like three Captain Power things. <laughs>
0: so for those listening who I mean, sensibly, don't know what the hell we're talking about. This was a live action show from the late '80s. I believe it was made in Canada, probably why I have a uh, affinity for it. And it took place in the future, and it had like a CG villains in it. Like it, it was very rudimentary CG, but it was super high tech. But one of the gimmicks of it was that there were these colored patches on the screen, and you could buy these toys, and you were supposed to shoot these colored patches while you were uh, watching the show, and you could get get points for it i mean i didn't really understand i actually had a vhs tape of it all as well you're supposed to play at home but if you get the toys yeah you can shoot it but the other thing is if you had two of these toys which were these like ships like these spaceships and you shoot at each other that they worked almost like laser tag and if you shot them enough that you could like beat the other person i can't remember how it worked if, like the there was any actual physical reaction from it but yeah captain power i mean it i've seen episodes in the last couple of years it actually was pretty cool <laughs> Or it's time, but boy, I can only imagine how it would look to someone, well, I don't know, people watch all sorts of weird junk these days.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a certain uh, nostalgia for retro TV that I don't understand, but I know exists.
0: I have a certain nostalgia for retro TV general, but like I even was writing about this recently, just the idea that, Man, we grew up on like the the disparity between the good stuff that was on television when we were kids and the bad stuff that lots of people watch. Like that bad stuff is so fucking bad. Like those sitcoms that we were we grew up on, like almost ninety eight percent of them are unwatchable. Like not one laugh Garbage. in the entire yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: you know what I was surprised by because I'm I'm revisiting it in anticipation of the reboot is how bad the animation is on the X Men show. Yeah. So my memory of it is this was the great one of the greatest cartoon shows that ever existed. And I'll say that plot-wise it's better than you think since they just stole a bunch of ideas from the comics, right? But the animation from the beginning was so subpar. And it's easy to look back at old animation and say, well, they were doing the best that they could. But Mm -hmm. that goes away if you've watched any anime. Anime from the 70s is better than... Mainstream American cartoons from the 90s. It's insane how little money they were spending on this fucking animation. There's continuity errors. There's fucking uh, uh, errors of like uh, scenes missing or choppy stuff. Like they're not animating on the ones. They're definitely animating on the twos, maybe on the threes. It's just fucked. And I'm watching it like with my daughter because I want her to watch the reboot with me and immediately she's like this animation's bad and i'm like you're six but i can't disagree with you <laughs>
0: leah we're here today to talk about syndicate sadists a movie by the great umberto lenzi um we uh, usually as as longtime listeners of the show know We use Roberto Curti's Italian crime filmography as sort of the Bible for this show. And in his description of this film, he says, Umberto Lenzi's syndicate status has only marginally to do with the rebel citizen thread best represented by Enzo G. Tessiari's uh, Street Law, Rambo, by the way, the main character's named Rambo, is not a harassed middle-class citizen, and not an ordinary one for sure. He's rather a Western movie character dropped into a contemporary urban environment, an illegitimate son of Clint Eastwood's man with no name, minus the latter's amorality, that is, who rides a motorbike instead of a horse. And yeah, if you think about this movie as basically a spaghetti Western in uh, Eurocrime clothing... It sort of makes a little bit more sense because, as we'll get into when we start talking about it, this is kind of a strange movie. It really has a hero that is so heroic, it's almost comical. But I thought, uh, before we get into talking about the movie, Liam, I've always been curious, what are your thoughts on spaghetti westerns? Or, let's open
1: it up, what about westerns in general? Oh, westerns in general, I am a skeptic. Sure. However, spaghetti westerns, I like... The majority of the ones that I've seen, uh, my relationship to Spaghetti Westerns is actually not that dissimilar to my relationship to Eurocrime films prior to this podcast, which is I've seen a few. I've gone out of my way to try to find some new ones, but I'm no expert. I've only seen, compared to some people, a small amount. Sure, Uh, of course. My favorite is still The Great Silence. Nothing for me. Even the more classic, like uh, Sergio Leone films, mm-hmm. I love those movies. The Great Silence is my favorite Spaghetti Western. There's just, it just really has the edge that I'm looking for. Sure. Uh, but then, of course, right after that is going to be, you know, or Once Upon a Time in the West. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, all those kind of movies. Uh, but then there's some more obscure ones that I have managed to catch, like Cutthroats Nine, I saw on film. Uh, of course, at an exhumed event at x Fest, that's a unique one, right? Because that's from Spain as opposed to Yeah, exactly. So technically not... But, I mean, you could put it it in... No, we're still talking about the same thing. Absolutely. Well, Uh, how about
0: classic Hollywood westerns? Do you have any... Like, Where
1: where does your skepticism come from in regards to that? I've only seen a couple, and the ones I saw were perhaps... I mean, I couldn't even remember the names of them. I just remember as a kid being like, oh, give this a try. And they weren't Italian. They were definitely... Uh, I think one was probably like a classic John Wayne joint, Um, but they felt more like, in a way, I don't know that I've seen the sorts of American Westerns that also had a bit more of an edge and a bit of a nihilism. I think Mm -hmm. they were more, I don't want to say upbeat because all of them are kind of dark because the West was dark, but they were more Americana, you know, a little bit more celebratory in nature, whereas Mm. some of the ones that are a bit more granted not as bloodthirsty as the spaghetti western but certainly have a bit more of a grit to them i don't think i've ever seen uh the one uh, exception being of course speaking of john wayne the original true grit which i only watched because of the true grit remake sure uh and i'm not against them like it's not like it's not something i would be willing to check out but i do think you need a guide it's kind of like um you know sometimes well meaning people one of the things you make fun of me a lot uh, for Doug as being someone who likes punk because, uh, I don't know, you just like to make fun of stuff. And, <laughs> I like uh, punk music. Yeah, exactly. And so, well, that's a great example, right? Sometimes well-meaning people on Twitter will ask for suggestions. But I would say that punk at this point is such a broad category that simply asking people for punk bands is is goddamn useless because you, they're going to suggest anything from Blink-182 to X. To fucking, you know, Elvis Costello. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. what people think of as punk is so all over the place. And my worry is that the Western is almost as broad in the sense that there's gonna be some that really influence spaghetti westerns and thus will have elements that I enjoy and there are going to be some that are just glorified musicals with some idiot singing on the back of a horse that like I don't fucking want that (laughs) shit in my life and so like I think that's that's sort of my thing is that I probably need a guide and even with a guide I'm not gonna like all of it because this is you know one of my failings as a movie watcher which maybe isn't fair but I, I you could say it is that I have a very low tolerance for certain older films. Mm, Um, Interesting. I I get bored more easily than I am willing to admit. Uh, And with certain kinds of, let's say, 70s films, there's a kind of boredom that is still attached to mesmerization where I feel like I'm still engaged. Right, right. But if I'm feeling bored in a film and stuff is happening, I'm not watching a long meditative shot of slow cinema people are talking and I'm bored then I'm like it's really hard for me to be happy with that you know does that make sense like no I do I understand it I do it's funny because I kind of I I really
0: love uh like 40s 50s cinema and I also think I've seen more classic Hollywood westerns than you though I'll be honest I came at it from a very hesitant place because when I was growing up my father loved westerns and that was like Oh, he likes that old, boring, you know, right, 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 right. for lack of a better term, cowboys and Indians type stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he loved, he loved John Wayne, and he like, he used to watch the Green Berets, which for people who don't know, that's like one of the few pro-Vietnam movies that were made during the conflict. Just like garbage movies, for the most part. Sure. Uh, and that's how I thought of those movies, especially those later John Wayne movies, which a lot of them are trash. And so to go back and watch like The Searchers or The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance or things like that, or Rio Bravo, right? The Howard Hawks or John Ford westerns. It took a lot, right? You kind of got to push through because a lot of the, a lot of those problematic elements are absolutely there. Lots of white people in in wearing makeup to look, you know, native, right? All that sort of shit, and and really weird representations of indigenous groups. All that stuff is there, but of course a lot of that shit's in. Spaghetti Westerns, too. And, but the uh,
1: thesis of a spaghetti Western, for the most part, I won't say exclusively, but a lot of ones I've watched, is that the West was a horror show. Yeah. That it was fucking monstrous. That there, There's no myth-making there unless the myth is, hey, this was a nightmare on Earth. So as much as you'll still encounter racist ideas sometimes or you'll still encounter sexist ideas, it's within a context in which the author, director, whatever, whoever's telling the narrative is like – Hey, look at this bullshit. And so, like, that's easier for me than a, mytholo- a uh. It's not even mythologization. I'm saying that wrong, but a hagiography of the American West that's also racist and sexist, sure. that's harder, right? It's, it's harder to swallow because they think this shit is awesome. They're literally depicting a genocide like it's the coolest thing I, ever. I
0: do think that some of the great American Westerns do tangle with those complex ideas. The Searcher right. certainly does. Well, that's why and I'm admitting
1: my limitation. Sure, I know there are Westerns that aren't hagiography, that there aren't celebrations. And they, there are more great American
0: Westerns than there are great spaghetti Westerns, and I can say that with some confidence. Okay. However, what you're saying is absolutely right you know what when they were making once about a time in the west the screenwriters which included dario argento by the way they got together and basically were like what are your favorite parts from all of your favorite american westerns and let's put them all together into one script right the idea is that they're building this kind of realer like this 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 more realistic version on the backs of american westerns these are italian guys right they don't know anything about the american west or even the myth all they know is the mythology that they've seen through movies and they're building all this stuff together which is why the artifice of spaghetti westerns is what i find you know that's a a really interesting aspect of it which is these are like a italian imitation of american tropes that are not based in any sort of reality, shot in Spain. There's all these kind of layers to like distance yourself for it, and somehow they end up feeling more real than the movies that they're trying to imitate.
1: Well, I, I think in the end, that reality is only based upon the idea that like we don't have to make the origins of this country seem appealing. Right. And again, I, I and and I want to get back to what you said and really say for those of our listeners who maybe are utterly horrified that I've. Miscategorized American westerns. I know there are dark American westerns too, and I want to find those. And if anyone wants to send us a list for me to check out, that's cool. Uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that I have uh, a bias.
0: Yeah, and, and no, I think you, it still comes from a real place. There's all sorts of like jingoistic, and mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. ones that aren't the ones that are trying to tell serious stories. They tend to also come on the side of hey, the U.S. are the good guys in this. But like something like the Wild Bunch, like those '60s westerns, late '60s that are. Trying to tangle with things in in some ways are influenced by the spaghetti westerns. Do you have any love for that sort of
1: thing? I uh, the wild you named the only one that I know that I've seen is the Wild right. Bunch, which I do which I do like. But uh, you know the other thing that spaghetti westerns have, and I you know I'm not trying to be disrespectful, or whatever. But uh, spaghetti westerns a lot of them have either at the artist touch because a lot of the directors still wanted something visually appealing that was just their bias you know or some sort of extremity because they were trying to make money and they saw violence as the way to make money and so the thing about the spaghetti westerns is even some of the ones that maybe aren't the best written best directed things still have some like fucking crazy shit in them yeah that Mm -hmm. i end up loving for that extremity and i know that makes me a little bit of like a gawker in a sense more than appreciator but I, that's fine. That's just who I, mean, I am. I mean, cheap thrills and, you know. are part of it, though, right? That's yeah, part exactly. of the marketing exactly. of these things. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, I do I do think you can compare Spaghetti westerns to, say, like, uh, Japanese. You know, like, one of the things about getting into a uh, uh, Japanese film is you realize that some of the cheapest, most exploitative Japanese movies were still shot by someone who thought they were an artist. So they look yeah. amazing, mm-hmm. even if what you're watching is actually horrifying. Whoever was holding the camera was like... Convinced they were making art, and so like I like the appeal of that. I like the appeal of someone trying to take trash and make it artsy. I kind of love yeah. that a little bit, you know. Yeah,
0: and honestly, the fact that in the wake of Leone's uh, Man with No Name trilogy, that there were like hundreds of imitators, and some of those imitators are just like cash-ins, right? Just who cares? It, totally, they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even in some of those there's some artistry even in those it's just like oh we're doing the best we can we don't care that much but we're you know maybe the soundtrack maybe the performance maybe the photography and so many of them have elements of that but then you get like outliers like the great silence or bullet for the general or uh one of my favorites uh the name it's best known for is i think uh the, it's either the Strangers gun down or Django the bastard oh and yes. of course
1: I oh so good so good and
0: it's like the, a lot of these movies also it's hard to like they don't necessarily just have one name or run man run the Thomas Million movie uh it's there's lots of like diamonds in the rough it's, it's a it's a fun genre to explore because I mean it feels like to me and maybe I'm wrong on this and you you might disagree Liam that it's only been in the last like decade 20 years or so that movies like The Great Silence and Bullet for the General have really gotten a lot of profile that have kind of gotten their reputation where now they're considered alongside, maybe not to the level of the Leone films, but certainly like high level Westerns. I mean, uh, The Great Silence was just on Criterion channel. I'm just gonna read just a little bit from Roberto Curti's uh, book here, uh, specifically about the Spaghetti Western influences in Syndicate Sadists. It says here, *Million's Rambo is a metropolitan version of the lonely wandering rider. He arrives in town on his motorbike instead of a horse, puts two crime bosses one against the other, a fistful of dollar style, and eventually leaves after destroying the rival gangs and releasing a kidnapped child. Syndicate Sadists also features the obligatory barroom brawl, um, a boy who worships the hero, like Brando Wilde did with Alan Ladd in the classic Hollywood Western Shane. A good-hearted prostitute who, however, instead of leaving in the sunset with the lead, ends up beaten to death by the villains. There's no room for romance in the Polizioteski genre. Which, I mean, that is something that is consistent across a lot of the movies that we watch on this show, Liam. That yep. There's often a female character where, even when they're introduced, you're like, oh, this is not going to end well for them. But yeah, no, it does it when you read those kind of cliches all together. It definitely feels like the influences are clear, and this is a very different kind of policioteski. For one thing, there's, the police aren't in this movie really at all. The, even the policeman isn't really uh, a, a police officer, as we'll talk about in just a bit. It's kind of this is a kind of an off model for us so far uh, version of the Eurocrime genre. Um, But I am very curious to know whether you enjoyed it or not. Once again, we've seen Umberto Lenzi before. We've seen Thomas Millian a number of times. So there's a lot of material that we're uh, familiar with. But there's some odd stuff here. Let's take a break, Liam. When we return, 1975's Syndicate Sadists. Jump they want two billion lira tomorrow
1: what else did they say
0: that if we report this to the police john piero's as good as dead
1: i found out where they're holding the boy the one who was kidnapped monday But it wasn't conti's bunch that did it all the planning was done by duval <laughs> <laughs> All right, where are they keeping the kid? You better tell me or you're as good as dead.
0: After his friend is killed as a result of a war between two crime families, a biker vows to destroy the families and rescue a boy they have kidnapped. It's 1975. Syndicate Sadists, a.k.a. The Executioner Challenges the City, also known as Rambo's Revenge, uh, which might sound a little funny, but as I already mentioned, yeah, the main character in this is called Rambo. We'll talk about it. Uh, From the Italian crime filmography, it says... Milan, a biker named Rambo, an ex-gangster turned vigilante, rides into town to visit an old friend, Pino Scalia, who now works for a security squad scrutinizing local mafia activity. The Conti gang kidnaps the son of a wealthy engineer, Marsili Scalia, who had exposed the kidnapping, is killed by one of Conti's men, Duval. Rambo intervenes to avenge his dead friend and release the kidnapped boy. First, he dispatches Duval, then by using the two billion ransom as bait, he puts Old Paterno's gang against Conti's, so that the two factions almost exterminate one another. Even though he is alone against the ruthless survivors, Rambo kills the remaining bandits and sets the boy free. Old Paterno, isolated and humiliated, commits suicide and Rambo leaves on his bike towards new adventures. Directed by the great Umberto Lenzi, We've uh, encountered him before when we talked about Almost Human, but he's best known in the West for his extreme horror films like Cannibal Ferox and Eaten Alive. But he also directed Sword and Sandal movies, Spaghetti Westerns, Spy movies, Jollies. He was uh, maybe uh, only in the last, like, you know, 20 years when a lot of these Eurocrime movies became a little bit easier to see in the west uh, people have, have kind of reevaluated him. I think when I was getting into cult movies in the 90s Lindsay's reputation was very much like oh he's kind of an also-ran when it comes to extreme horror but a lot of these Eurocrime movies are some of the best of the genre. We both enjoyed Almost Human quite a bit. This one was written by Vin- Vincenzo Menino who also is a very prolific uh, writer in the Uh, Italian films of that time period. Uh, He uh, wrote for Lucio Fulci with Murder Rock and the New York Ripper. He wrote for Lamberto Bava, his film Devil Fish, House on the Edge of the Park and Raiders of Atlantis for Rogero Diodato and many, many more. He actually passed away in 1999. Now, the character of Rambo is named that even though this film predates first blood by a number of years. Uh, apparently Thomas Millian, the lead, happened to read David Morrell's novel while flying from the U.S. to Rome. He loved it. He actually tried to get Italian producers to get the rights to the book to make a Rambo movie. They declined, but he was like, "This, this character's name is too cool. I need to use it in a movie. So Thomas Millian does indeed play Rambo in Syndicate Sadist. And yeah, the legendary Hollywood actor from Citizen Kane and, um, The Third Man, Joseph Cotton is here as Paterno, the, the, one of the, uh, crime bosses, and some other familiar faces from the movies that we've watched so far as well. But after all that preamble, Liam, let's hear it. What did you think of the oddly titled Syndicate Sadists?
1: You know what, Doug? I um, was surprised how much I enjoyed this because I think it's lacking a lot of what we have celebrated in other Eurocrime movies. Like sure, this movie... Yes, it exists in a in a world of crime, let's say, but uh, it doesn't seem to be as concerned for some of the politics that these movies can be in either direction. Uh, it doesn't have quite as many, like there are like chases and stuff, mm-hmm. but they're not quite at the level of some of the other movies we've seen. And uh, though it has violence in it, the Million character is such a fucking hero that it doesn't feel as dark as some of those other Eurocrime movies, right? So, like, there's violence. It's 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 got its own edge to it. But for the most part, it's about how awesome this dude is. <laughs> and at one point, we get multiple adoring young boys who, like, look yeah. at him with eyes of love and appreciation. So it's, like, about how awesome he is. And not only that, like, this whole idea of, like, He's a former criminal and now he's a vigilante. But he's like so good at everything. Like, he's better than all the criminals. He's better than all the authority figures. As you said, they're not cops or like a private police force, but they're basically cops. And he's better yeah. at being a cop than they are. Yeah. Like, the whole idea is he, like. He
0: goes to where they train and he just does every single thing they do better than the best of them. And then they're like,
1: hey, do you want to join? He's like, nah. <laughs> well, and getting back to like the man with no name, right? Like, the man with no name is better than everybody. <laughs> But he's also kind of a dickhead, right? Like, that's sort of the... Is like he's, yeah, just, he's, he's morally dubious. Absolutely. Yeah, and so that's sort of the flaw that sort of draws you in, is like, he's not Superman, right? He is... Uh, he's not even Wolverine, you know, because Wolverine is soft for kids. He's always on the kid's side. Uh, uh, but with this Million character, he's got all the immortality and skill... And then none of the morally—I mean, I guess he's morally dubious because he's not a cop, maybe. And there is a sense in which maybe he's just going to steal all the money. Like, there's always this thing in the movie that's not quite resolved of, like, he's doing this for revenge and he's doing this to, like, uh, save this kid. But is he going to steal the money? There's always this feeling that he might just be like, "Uh, I'm just going to take the money. Even though they
0: repeatedly say in the movie, he doesn't care about money.
1: (laughs) It's still kind of like, I don't care about money, but this is a lot of money. I might just take it. Uh, but but that's it. For the most part, he's more of a scamp. You can't watch the, the Man with No Name trilogy and be like, oh, Clint Eastwood's character is a scamp. He's just a he's just a bit of a scamp. He's a scoundrel, really. Who like you still love this yeah. dude is just like he's like a, a murderous Dennis the Menace. He's not necessarily on the side of good, but he's not a bad dude in any way, shape, or form. And there's something about that that's almost charming. So maybe that's why I liked it so much because I did. I had fun with this movie. Um, I don't think there are really any sadists in it in the way that you would think of to use that term. There's just a bunch of bumbling criminals who don't seem very good at what they do. Uh, and then there's just this motorcycle riding guy, who by the way, kind of looks like a hippie, or or a long, sh- he's like a mix of a hippie and a long short. He's man.
0: wearing a very strange hat, right? He has like a knit hat that's also yeah. a bucket hat at the same time, yeah. and he, he wears it incessantly. Like, that's part of his trademark. And this guy loves trademarks, right? It's just like, it's yes. his bike, it's his jacket, all parts of him, it's like, it's like he's wearing a costume when he's out Yes,
1: around. 100%. And no one dresses like he does. Like, it's not like, oh, there's all these guys walking around who look like they could either go work on the dog. Or go to a disco. This is, he's the only one, but that's part of his appeal. And it's it's almost feels like Million is trying to make a character who both looks sexy in a very hip sort of way, but also grizzled like he could fucking kick your ass. Right? <laughs> yeah, and he wants it both ways, and it's hard to do, man. This is a hard <laughs> look to pull off. And, but I but I still think he does. I'm criticizing it, but I think it works. Mostly because it's just him, right? Like, there's no this character should be bullshit. This should not work as a character, and it really does. And it's so funny to me that he named it after Rambo, because I I don't know if you're familiar. The kids today say Riz, right? Like someone who has swagger or rizzed up. I got you. Yeah, this motherfucker has riz. Rambo might be the toughest man in his world. He has no riz right there's yeah. no the character is an awkward reject you can't even imagine that he fucks ever or even knows what fucking is this dude is like i just got done fucking i'm going to kill these criminals and i'm going to go fuck some more like he just is somehow sexy charming and murderous in a way that doesn't feel off putting. He's know? almost like a folk hero, right? Like yeah, he comes into the city 100%. and he and you know he he causes all this chaos, never
0: has to have any consequences, puts lots of other people in danger, and then just at the end of the movie he just rides off to go to another adventure. I'm yeah. kinda surprised there isn't like seven different Rambo movies oh, that were all made in this time period. Well, it feels like
1: yeah, please. Oh, and I want to put up front, because we're talking about the charm of this thing, and that there is, despite the violence, there's almost like an innocence to the way they portray this guy. I do want to put up front that this movie has the requisite violence against women, that this uh, sex worker he is friends with gets murdered for no reason. It is... It is what later would be called fridging in the most Mm -hmm. fridging way, which you don't even need because he already has a dead friend. He doesn't need two dead friends to justify his violence, but that's why she's there and that's what happens. She gets murdered. If anything, it
0: makes him look more like an asshole, right? Because he is, for all the other people he puts in danger, he manages to save them all. She gets killed because of him, like solely because of protecting him. And then even his reaction to it, even though he's upset about it, he just gets over it immediately and goes back to what he was
1: doing. It is, for me, the one truly dark moment of a movie that is weirdly light. It's like you're in a genre that is almost always nihilistic and dark. And this movie isn't that until she gets killed, which is an utterly unnecessary act of violence not just unnecessary in the sense of like it's cruel, but not necessary narratively. We don't need this moment in a narrative sense. It's just there for the exploitation of it all. And I think it is the one thing that makes me say, well, this movie is still within the genre because it's unnecessarily cruel to a woman in a very patriarchal way. And that is part of this genre that we've come to, to expect. Outside of that though, Doug, this feels like a weird adventure movie, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like a superhero movie, really. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. a, there's aspects of that, which is odd because I
0: think both of us came into this expecting something very different because we had seen the DVD cover that was released in the US. Oh my God. And this DVD cover shows a couple that are handcuffed together and then a gentleman, a bald gentleman in the foreground with a blowtorch. And we're like, oh, this shit's going to be like violent and, Torture. you know, like, yeah there's going to be torture at the center of it the funny thing is when you know the context of why this couple are chained together and that actually is something happens in the movie like (laughs) it's so like comically different than the tone of what this dvd is trying to present It, it even says in the front cruel enforcers living by the dirtiest set of rules not reflective of the movie whatsoever and that comes to the title too like this isn't about sadists it's about Superhero Rambo coming to you know save kids
1: from, from bad guys. Do you think this is because of Umberto Lenzi? 100%, I do. 100%. Yeah, because the, his appeal to most people is his extremity. And in a lot of They cases, have his name, by the way,
0: right there on the title. It says, from Umberto Lenzi, the director of Eaten Alive. Which, I mean, it's, it's definitely meant to say, hey, yeah. this guy who makes all this really gross shit, here's some more gross shit for you.
1: But he's done... If people actually get to know his filmography... Yeah. While he has done cruelty in many different genres... It's not his only sort of speed, and I think some of his best movies don't fall into that extreme area, and I wouldn't say I'm an expert. There's a ton of movies in his filmography I still haven't checked out, Sure, but of the ones I've seen, it's not their cruelty that makes them good, you know what I mean? Like The idea that you have to sell this movie on some sort of weird sex violence fantasy is psychotic to me, and in fact, the only part that would almost play into that when this poor woman is murdered is my least favorite part of the movie. It's like my one part of the movie where I was like, this kind of sucks, honestly. And and that's not just because, as, as I'm sure some people listen to the show, we're kind of uh, moralizing softies, right? Like, yeah, we're yeah. not in this. But, like, I've seen movies that have this level, because it's really not that extreme of a scene. I've seen movies with this level of violence and thought, I didn't like that, but I get why it's there. It kind of makes sense that this is part of this movie. It's just so unnecessary in this movie that it is one of the few parts that I thought, this is just stupid. It's just stupid. Whereas When it's
0: unnecessary like
1: this, it feels like punishment. It yes, feels like it's punishing exactly. the character exactly, for Lucian. Exactly. But then the rest of the movie, it's not a perfect movie, but I it there aren't that many other things where I would say this was a bad decision that didn't need to be here. It mostly makes sense for what it is, which is like I don't know. It's like, it's like what, again, we've said this too much, but it's literally like, what if the man with no name was like a fun, charming sex guy? Yeah. <laughs> That's really what the movie is.
0: And I guess Lindsay was like, he was influenced by Don Siegel movies. So specifically like Dirty Harry, it's like, what if Dirty Harry, instead of having this kind of moral conflict at its center and even like his ability to, that he had no consequences whatsoever to his no. actions outside of, of the that uh his friend dying which he had nothing to do with his friend actually was somewhat responsible for his own death and this woman who he obviously does not really care that much about but like he can just go on and feel nothing but good things about his actions in regards to and like he also there's a part in this movie and it's it's one of my favorite parts where the bad guys these crime bosses are trying to find Rambo they don't know where he is so what they do is his friend whose widow and son are still around out there and he's been giving them money to help him they go to their house and they get uh, the widow to call Rambo to draw him into the apartment so they can kill him and so they do and Rambo goes up and he gets shot to death and they leave all the all the criminals leave and Rambo just jumps up because <laughs> he's wearing the bulletproof vest that his friend had shown him earlier in the movie, he jumps up, he's laughing, he's slapping the boys, uh, like like uh, slapping his back and being like, "Ha ha ha!" And she's like the the widow's like, "I'm so sorry, I betrayed you, Rambo." And he's like, "I would have done the same thing." Yeah. <laughs> he's loving, he's loving. They absolutely like they established earlier that most people shoot in the chest, but like he easily could have gotten killed in that moment oh, but for yeah. Rambo. Rambo doesn't believe that he can die, and he's kind of
1: right in the context of this movie. Well, and also, if you get shot multiple times at that like almost point-blank range— I know! —not only is it unlikely the bulletproof vest will entirely hold up, it would hurt so bad, man. You know what hurts, Doug? Paintballs hurt. You yeah. know what probably hurts more than a paintball? Fucking bullets, man. Yeah. Like, what are we he doing? would have probably got broken ribs and shit. At least. At least <laughs> broken ribs.
0: So I do want to ask you, though, that one of the things... So this widow, her son... Him uh, him and Rambo have a a really kind of playful relationship. He's like buying the kid presents and promises to buy him a bike and stuff like that. A motorbike, just like Rambo's. Because this kid idolizes Rambo. He doesn't give a shit about his own father. It's only Rambo he cares about. Just like all the kids in this movie. This kidnapped kid that he's... This kidnapped kid would fucking leave his family and go on the road with Rambo if he had the option to at the end. But one of the things about this, um, the, the son of the friend of his who dies, is that they tell jokes to each other. Liam and one of Rambo's jokes is what's round and red and rides a big mare like a mare like a horse what's round and red and rides a big horse and he said and the kid doesn't know and he's like the lone orange Liam explain this joke to me
1: doesn't make any sense
0: round and red why is it red like that the thing is if if he said what's round and orange and rides a big horse that also wouldn't be a very good joke because orange is already in the first part of it so it doesn't really work but like what kind of fucking joke is
1: that man is it an italian thing are oranges red in italy no what i mean is the language is there a pun oh sure may very possibly though
0: i, I get the impression from watching his lips that Thomas milian is actually speaking english for most of this movie
1: oh yeah Mother, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't get I don't that know. whatsoever. The,
0: by the way, we should establish, I believe that both Liam and myself watched the English dubbed version yes. of this, which is available on Tubi currently. It's a perfectly good dub. I watched it mostly because I wanted to hear Joseph Cotton's voice. Uh, I don't think Thomas Milian, which we've heard him dub himself in other movies, he's not doing his own voice here. But I think it's a very reasonable dub. I mean, it would be dubbed in, in Italian as well. What I mean is that the quality of the acting is pretty good.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I, it's again, you, because we don't speak Italian, it's hard to know if there's major changes to the dialogue or not. You know what I mean? So, like, even if we watch the Italian, sometimes the subtitles are off. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, yeah. It's hard for us to know, but it, it all kind of made sense to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the, I mean, and it is a good point to make that maybe something like this joke. I mean, the thing is, though, they, they could have translated this is just a stupid joke for kids. He could have said anything if you were doing that. So anyway, it is a little odd. What did you think about the plot itself? The idea of after his friend is killed. So so let me, even though I already mentioned in the plot summary, he comes into town, immediately meets up with his friend. Rambo does. meets up with his friend. And his friend is part of some sort of, like, four hire police force. They're not security guards. They are like a, and they're not like a secret police. It's almost like a, um privatized police force yes. that they need because they don't they're understaffed the actual police force there's just this whole place and they have their own building where they train and stuff and it seems like they have complete impunity to do whatever they want to go search out crime and his friend is like one of the higher ups in there this guy gets killed so what rambo decides to do is because his friend gets killed by one of these crime families He's going to go and turn the crime families against each other. He finds out that one of them has this kid kidnapped. The other one hates that first one. So he tries to set them up where one of them will steal the kidnapped kid and try to keep their money from him and stuff like that. What did you think of that plot? Uh, were you able to follow it okay?
1: Uh, for the most part. There's a couple points where I was a little confused only because of the layers of double crossing, you know? Sure. And... Um, There's a there's a sense in which, I couldn't tell, I couldn't tell if Rambo had a uh, adversarial relationship with the crime boss or just his son. Right, the just you know? Cotton character and his yes. son. Right. Yes. And so I was kind of curious about that for a little bit, but overall, yeah, it makes sense. Like I said, it's never clear to me if Rambo isn't playing his own game as well. You know what I mean? Like, the revenge is clear, but what are his stakes with the money? Like, what does he want with the money when he doesn't care about money? That is not always clear to me in the movie, but I didn't care, really. You know, it's part of the fun a little bit. Uh, I Even
0: ca- the money he does get, by the way, he, he in order to convince one of the crime families that he's giving them good information, he accepts 10% of what they're going to take, and he just gives that money right to the widow.
1: Yes, 100%. So that... that The whole thing is just kind of confusing as to, like, some of the details, but that didn't really matter. I get the basic idea, which is that these crime families are more inclined to turn on each other than they are to uh, work together. But eventually they do work together because they want to get Rambo. (laughs) And I thought that part was kind of funny because it's like, well, that's not what he wanted, right? Like, that wasn't the goal. But then it almost seems like it was because he's invincible anyway, so he's just going to kill – it doesn't – the only part of it, Doug, I guess that's kind of funny to me is with the level of skill and cleverness he has – did he need to do this at all? It's almost like he brought down the other crime family just for like shits and giggles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he didn't I,
1: need to do that to save this
0: kid. That, really. That's the folk hero aspect, right? It's like I improved this entire city because I destroyed all of these major crime families yeah. just because I could, just because I, I felt I could like do it, it. it. So it's yeah. Fine. It wasn't even like a revenge thing at this point. Like the the, the, the saving of the kid. <laughs> There's a part where he goes in to save the kidnapped kid and he almost walks off with him and then he gets caught by one of the the crime bosses and he's like sorry kid i'll be back later and he just like leaves the kid with the crime boss he he gets he's under the impression that the kid is invincible because he's worth so much money and he's right there's a part late in the movie where he has the kid on the motorbike with him and the bad guys are like following them and they're like i'm going to shoot rambo it's like don't shoot him you might hit the kid at that point who gives a fuck about the kid just kill rambo and the kid <laughs> Everyone's got to move
1: on with their lives. But no, Rambo can't be hurt. That kid cannot be hurt. It is a – it's another place where the movie feels naive, right? In a different Eurocrime movie, they not only kill the kid, they probably torture him before they kill him just for fun, and then they just get the money anyway and then send the parents, like, a body part or something. Like, that's how these movies usually go. So the fact that this movie, he's, like, risking his life and the kid's life – showboating and everything is fine it's just another way that this movie kind of almost doesn't fit the genre in some ways you know
0: yeah if anything it's a little cleaner than most except for like the murder of the woman it this is a movie that it, it it almost feels like the no nonsense like very american style where you don't have to worry about the motivations because the guy is so good yeah it's it's it. like i said it's a little off model but i kind of appreciated it for that great yeah yeah, yeah. What, one of the things we do talk about on this show are the soundtracks to the uh, Eurocrime movies we uh, discuss. This is a soundtrack for uh, Syndicate Satis by Franco Micalizzi, uh, one of the favorites of Quentin Tarantino. He's used his music in a number of his films at this point. Uh, very uh, prolific and uh, beloved composer, still with us thankfully. Did lots of Umberto Lenzi movies including uh, Rome Arm to the Teeth, *Violent Naples, uh, also did the the uh, they call me Trinity the first co- comedic uh, spaghetti western also one of his uh, pieces of music the puzzle appears regularly on curb your enthusiasm so uh has had a lot of, of influence in the west generally what did you think of the soundtrack to this theme it's kind of the main theme has a like kind of a weird synth uh horns thing going on
1: you know I'm so used to these movies having their own kind of like characteristic soundtrack that I didn't even notice it much other than to like appreciate it you know what I mean? Like, it didn't yeah, stand yeah. out to me other than to be like, oh, this is cool. But I wasn't paying deep attention to it because it, it just feels like a feature of this era of Italian films that you're going to mm-hmm. get something kind of fun, something kind of funky, something that has its own kind of character that I really appreciate it was
0: only really the main theme for me that stuck out and that was mostly because of that weird kind of synth sound right, in it right, right, and right, you right. only really hear it at like the very beginning and at the very end of the movie the rest of it like you said it's it's fairly standard for the genre which doesn't mean that it's not good it is still you know notable in the sense that um, the fact that they have original scores is to be still notable. Maybe it's because we have that Jackie Chan podcast where a lot of the stuff feels recycled. I just like the idea that there's just so much of this music material out there, uh, but I don't pretend to be an expert on it, but we will pre- we'll play some of the main theme at, at the close of this episode. Liam, any other... Uh, outside, I mean, Thomas Million is the show here, but did any of the other performances
1: or characters stick out to you? I can't figure out which of these actors in this thing played his played the son because i forget what the son the son of uh i guess paterno what which one is that oh the son of like the bad guy son yeah 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 yeah. yeah. is that uh you know i don't know man which one of these is that let's see the the let's see uh scalia is it franco D. i think franco was the his friend was the friend was of his the friend song. okay
0: yeah, because he kept saying, "Don't write Franco." I think there's a suggestion, by the way, that they are gay lovers. I, did, did you get that as well? Because you I know, couldn't, d-
1: I couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah I
0: always yeah. feel like when you have a character that is flamboyant whatsoever and has a friend that, uh, when they die, he like strongly reacts to it. That that is something that's supposed to be implied, but they don't imply it very strongly. But yeah, so we know what you mean. The the son of the crime boss
1: played by Joseph Cotton, like that dude. He's so creepy. Yeah, He's so in reality. I mean, this is just the way it is. As much as I love Rambo, if he was just fucking over Paterno, it would almost feel unfair, right? Paterno, he's not a good dude, but does he deserve this level of destruction? No. No. But his son is a creep. From the moment you see this motherfucker, you're like, "Yeah, that guy's gonna die." Like you just know, no one could be this weird and sadistic. After he kills the the sex worker, especially right because yes. he kills her accidentally.
0: He kicks her in the face and she just dies. And he at first he's like, "Oh, like he seems a little like freaked out by it," but then he's like, "Yeah, she deserved it." So it's just like, dude, you have signed your death warrant. Yeah, one hundred
1: percent. He's just so. Schmarmy that I, it really sells this plan, which is I'm just going to destroy two families for the price of one. Um, I maybe because they had so little to do and it was so goofy. I love the fucking kids. The kids are just yeah. so ridiculous in this movie that I I fucking love it. Uh, and it takes also, off like the blindfold in the gag, and the
0: kid looks at him with like he is God himself, God. just in front. Of, he just like well, it's I, not he's like then, I'm not afraid
1: because I'm here with you, Rambo. It's not just then, Doug. It's when he first sees Rambo beat the shit out of someone. And then he's like, yeah, he literally, he might as well give Rambo a thumbs up at that moment. He's so fucking stoked that Rambo beat someone up. Rambo takes that kid to like
0: an abandoned building. He's like, this is where we got to make our last stand. So I'm going to need all your help. I know you're tired. He's like, I'm not tired. Not when I'm with you, Rambo. And he makes this kid like fire off a flare gun, which he almost doesn't do. Like it's a huge part of his plan that this kid has to shoot off the flare gun it's uh it's pretty wild uh liam were any of the action scenes this is a very kind of different movie even though there are a few car chases
1: but will any of the action stand out for you I, honestly not in the way that some of these other movies do they're all fine but they're none of them are like death defying super exciting or at least none stick out to me that way what i'm more sold on is like the character and his kind of wittiness and yeah. the image of him riding around on that motorcycle like he's king of the world there are some shootouts and stuff, but nothing is like holy shit. you know like some of these movies really do push the envelope action wise and that that isn't really what I think you come to this movie for.
0: There are a few motorcycle stunts. There's the, a very obviously great escape inspired motorcycle stunt at the end. but the one I liked most was the when he's on patrol with his sort of cop friend. And they, um, uh, uh, some of the criminals throw like a Molotov cocktail yes. at the vehicle, yes, the right, yes, 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 and yes. he he bursts out of the back of the car with his motorcycle, and he like jumps over the flames. And I'm like, yeah,
1: that's Rambo, man. <laughs>
0: that's Rambo right there. <laughs> the part about
1: that that I love, Doug, is that it's not clear to me that that truck had a connection between the bed and the and the front. Yeah. Right. Like, how did he get in there to get his fucking motorcycle? <laughs> it's, like, not clear that he could even do that. But it doesn't matter because you just see him go and you're like, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what Rambo would do. Meanwhile, they're all looking at the truck like, oh, no, the truck's on fire. What do we do? And Rambo's like, I got this shit. And then he just takes them out. Like, he just makes the car flip over. Yeah. Unbelievable. I don't know if you remember. It's a really kind of a weirdly edited thing where the car flips over
0: and then bursts into flames, which happens in every one of these movies. Yes. But it's like it's up, it, it is right side up, and then it just cuts to it on fire upside down. It's like they missed the shot of it going upside down. But whatever, it's a small complaint. I do want to mention, by the way, even though I do love Joseph Cotton as an actor, I mean, he is sleepwalking through this one and part of it is because his character is revealed near the end of the movie even though it's pretty clear pretty early on that he's blind and you know it's part of why he doesn't have a lot to do here he's not exactly given the strongest vocal performance either still fun to see him in here liam any final thoughts on syndicate sadists
1: um i will say there is a he his character also you know commits suicide at the end that's a pretty dark moment, and it's a little weird in this movie yeah. that is not that dark overall, and the movie kind of like gets the dark shot, like gets the shot, and then just moves on. And I just thought, this is not a very sensitive portrayal of suicide, quite honestly, uh, but you know otherwise, I you know' it's, it, it's weird to criticize maybe the portrayal of suicide in the movie and then say, "This shit was a lot of fun." But it was Doug. I had fun with this movie. It's not what I come to Eurocrime for. I certainly wouldn't recommend it. If anyone's listening and they're like, "I'm really getting deep into this genre, the Polizia TECI genre," this is not this is not the 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 uh, paragon of the this. The, you know what I mean? Like it it doesn't it doesn't click. Check the boxes, right? Uh, but it's still great. So I might recommend it to someone who has already seen a bunch of these movies and they're looking for something that clearly is related it's clearly a part of that world but it's doing its own thing and it's fun because of that but if you are just getting into it and you see this kind of early you're not gonna I, I don't think you're gonna see a lot of movies like this in the genre as a whole this is really an outlier and i kind of love it for that uh and i had a lot of fun with it but it's certainly not the the par- the 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 paradigm is what i'm trying to say of this this genre of movie
0: I should say that's as far as we know, right? We might end that's up seeing fair. a few yeah, that's more right. like this. That's My right.
1: understanding that's right.
0: is that, you know, specifically that Thomas Millian has played roles like this outside. And we've seen him as villains a few times already, or even as kind of a badass cop, but we haven't really seen him like this before. Maybe we'll see more, but you're right. This is not the kind of film that I think a lot of people connect with the genre as a whole. And certainly it was a surprise For me, by the way, uh, if listeners want to check out this movie, as we've already mentioned, a dubbed English version is available to watch on Tubi. It's widescreen, it's a very good quality, I think it's worthwhile, free for ads there. There was a DVD release of the film in the US through Shriek Show many years ago, that's the one with the cover that we talked about earlier, and 88 Films in the UK has released the film on Blu-ray, which from all um, reports is the highest quality version that's available, and uh, you can still pick up copies of that, but they tend to be pretty expensive. Liam, on the next episode of Wild in the Streets, 1975's Killer Cop. We have a poster here. It's with, with uh, Arthur Kennedy in it, uh, directed by Luciano Ercoli. Uh, yeah, this is uh, it's somewhat inspired by real-life events. Uh, 1975's Killer Cop. Have you ever heard of this one, Liam? I actually have never heard of it. I'm excited to check it out. So something a little different, something off the beaten path, not just the same old names. uh, And maybe, I mean, (laughs) will it be more similar to the film that we talked about today or some of the others we've discussed? I guess we'll find out on the next episode of Wild in the Streets. Liam, if you want to check out more episodes of this podcast or others, what's the best way for them to do so?
1: Well, Doug, they can, of course, head to CinePunks.com, that's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, uh, where they will find not only our latest episodes, but a whole uh, family of podcasts, as well as some writing and essays and uh, some a store to, to purchase stuff, all of it worth checking out over there at CinePunks. Uh, if folks want to dive into our archive, as well as some of our more specific topics beyond Wild in the Streets, shows like Praising Kane, our Carol Kane focused podcast, or How Do You Do Fellow Kids, our Steve buscemi focused podcast, or uh, Jodorowsky, our uh, journey through the works of Alejandro Harno Uh They can, of course, head to our website, cinemasmorgasbord.com, uh, where you can sort through our various episodes based on topic and find the thing that you are looking for and check it out there. Uh, and of course, we are on Twitter. At Cinema Smorg, S M O R G, and Cinepunks is on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cinepunks, C I N E P U N X.
0: You can follow Liam on Twitter uh, for the moment, or, or X as they call it, at Liam Rules, that's R U L Z. I am no longer on there, but I am over at Blue Sky, At uh, you can just search Social. I'm over there as well. Uh, And yeah, if you like what you're hearing right now Why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice Or even better, why don't you recommend An episode to a friend Maybe you don't care about Eurocrime movies Maybe you like the Jackie Chan podcast Why don't you just recommend what you most enjoy And if you enjoy it all, hey, tell a friend That's always really helpful But for now, we need to take a break, Liam When we come back, Wild in the Streets will be covering 1975's Killer
1: Cop Good night, everyone A Good night